Coming to you from the southwestern corner of Manitoba, sharing fresh perspectives from real educators. Tune in as teachers relate their stories of professional learning, classroom practice, and the challenges they've overcome to teach like a boss. Welcome to a brand new episode of Teach Like a Boss, the podcast for teachers by teachers. My name is Devin Caldwell, and I'm so excited to be joined by our school psychologist, Sheena Blanchard. Welcome to the podcast, Sheena. Thank you, Devin. Today, we're going to focus on our Teacher Idea Fund grants. Sheena and I are really fortunate to be part of two different teams that received Teacher Idea Fund grants in Fort LaVos School Division, and they both kind of stem from a very common need and an issue or a topic that is really at the forefront of education right now. So we thought we would begin today's podcast with a discussion of what's happening with the science of reading right now. So Sheena, can you just start off by giving us an overview? What is science of reading? Absolutely, thanks. And it's a term that we are hearing often, we're seeing often, it's being used in lots of capacities now, a buzzword of sorts. Uh, But really all it means is there is a huge body of scientifically based evidence now that really supports how brains learn how to read best and what practices are vital to that process um, and most important to touch on. And the science comes from many disciplines, um, from language, from psychology, neuroscience, uh, cognitive psychology, across the board. So it's vast and it is deep, but it's all out there for us. Okay, so... Now that we have probably way more information than we've had access to in the past, what does this new information mean for teachers and for schools? What it means is that it's time for us to take a look at our practices and make sure that they align because a lot of the difficulty with the science of reading information that's out there is it hasn't necessarily translated into daily practice. And so it's a really great time for us as educators to take a look at that research, how it applies to what we do in our classrooms to support our our early readers, our middle readers, our late readers, and, um, and what that means going forward for us. So what are some of the important components that have been identified as really effective practices as supported by the science of reading? Absolutely. So I think some important um, collections of research to draw back to are out there. And one of them is the National Reading Panel done um, in the United States in the early 2000s and really looking at five pillars, five pillars of reading instruction that all are necessarily necessary and equal um, to developing strong readers and those are the areas of phonological awareness, phonics, vocabulary, fluency, and comprehension. And so right now as far as the science of reading goes, um, some may be saying you know we're swinging too far back into phonics again, we've been there, done that, Um, we can't focus on that alone and that's not what the science of reading is saying. So uh, as far as our early years, yes, we are focusing a little bit more on that phonological Mm -hmm. awareness, on phonics development, and that's because of the vital period in our brains that's developing at that time and and those necessarily necessary links we need to make in our brain to develop that strong base for reading but it's about so much more than that too it's about developing our vocabulary fluency and comprehension so as a former kindergarten teacher phonological awareness and phonics was something that i was really aware of um, because i understood just what important building blocks 
that was for my kindergarten students' future literacy. But I'm hearing you describe other pillars where you're talking about fluency, comprehension, and vocabulary. And often those are things that we typically think are addressed a little further down the road. So what does all of this mean for early years teachers, middle years teachers, high school teachers? What it means is that it's applicable at every stage of the game. All of these areas are important. Um, and so even if you're a middle years or high school instructor at this point, um, you may have kids who have trouble breaking down multisyllabic words or knowing Latin suffixes and prefixes. That's all an extension of learning those basic phonics skills. And I think the importance is knowing that the research is telling us that a structured, systematic, explicit approach to developing um, phonics and those word decoding skills is what works best for kids. Um, so that as we're building up through the grades, um, we're working towards that same progression of skills and getting to those higher level word skills, hopefully. But we know there are kids who struggle with decoding in middle to late mm -hmm. years. And sometimes that difficulty in developing those skills in the early years turns into then issues with fluency and comprehension later on because decoding is not as automatic as it could be for kids. So I think the implications are broad across all the ranges and that all teachers need to be aware of these skills and how they develop in our brains. Well, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to address this topic through a podcast because this does reach, you know, a large cross-section of our teachers in Fort LaVos. Um, another part of science of reading that's certainly been in the news this school year has been the Ontario Right to Read inquiry, and I think that stemmed from a case with the Ontario Human Rights Commission. What can you tell us about Ontario's right to read? It's fascinating. First, if you have the chance to read through the information, it pulls all of the science that is kind of the summary parts that you really want to look at into it and it describes how that impacts practice and what that could look like. Um, and so within that they're addressing everything from curriculum and instruction, early screening, reading interventions, accommodations, and professional assessments like what I do. That whole circle look at reading instruction and what does it look like. And really that came out of the fact that um, people are starting to say reading is a human right. The ability to read is a right. And of course that comes back to us in the education system to make sure that by the end of kids 12 or 13 years with us, that they leave equipped with those skills to um, be functional readers. And so the, the Human Rights Commission uh, report really identifies practices that do align with the science of reading and what would be appropriate um, ways to um, shift our practice in ways that work best for kids. And so what this means for us here in Manitoba is that it's in Canada now, these discussions are happening and there is accountability um, for us to really take those hard looks at what do we know, what do we know better now, and can we do better? Not to say that good things haven't been happening, but there's always room for fine tuning and the research is always growing and changing and it is our responsibility to keep up with that. Um, the work of identifying this has been happening for some time in the states and you've seen laws changing in states and um, lawsuits and all kinds of different uh, more legally based um, queries into what is the right with reading and what does the education system need to be accountable for providing and now with this Ontario Human Rights Commission we're seeing that start to come into Canada as well. So I think more so than ever before um, 
when it becomes a human rights issue, teachers really need to become aware of that and make those shifts in their practice. And when there is that huge amount of information out there that is supported by science and research, I think we have some really clear directions in which to travel with our classroom practice. So I know for me, it all began with phonological awareness because those were big discussions um, long before we heard about science of reading or Ontario right to read. And for our teacher idea fund grant at Oak Lake, that's the direction that we decided to go in. There's a program that we've been seeing a lot in Fort LaBeouf schools and I know in surrounding school divisions called Haggerty Phonemic Awareness and implementing that on a larger scale seemed like a really good fit for us. Um, we noticed, really noticed following three months of remote learning, pandemic teaching and learning conditions that we just weren't seeing the literacy achievement that we wanted to see in our population. And a secondary problem, and you and I have had conversations about this before, was we were seeing lots of problems with decoding and encoding in our middle year students, like lots of spelling errors and, and problems with written work. And we suspected that that might be stemming from some issues with phonological awareness, that kids just weren't phonologically proficient in middle years. So that was the whole basis of our Teacher Idea Fund grant. Um, we called ours, it was Targeted Phonological Awareness Project, not our most original name. And we really looked at tackling tiers one and two. Ours was a school-based intervention, largely focused on work with children. So we implemented Hegarty Phonemic Awareness um, daily program in kindergarten to grade three. And then based on assessments, we assessed everyone to get a baseline. We targeted students in small groups. So we did a tier one across the board, kindergarten to grade three. And then we assessed all kiddos, kindergarten to grade eight. We found out who really needed extra support. And then we pulled them in small groups for more of a tier two intervention. And that's gone on throughout the school year. So we collected our baseline data in the fall. And then in January, early February, we we kind of took another sample and we're just wrapping up our, our final assessments just to see the difference we've made. So it's been exciting. It's definitely led to shifts in practice in the classroom. Hegarty's a great program that's really well laid out and easy for teachers to follow. And it's been nice for kids to get more support at the tier two level as well. And that includes our middle years kids. So that's been great. so wonderful. And I love hearing that because Phonological awareness is really the foundation to where our reading skills come from because when difficulties with reading emerge and we get into discussions about dyslexia or learning disorders, um, we know now from the science that the research says that dyslexia is a sounds-based problem, not a vision-based problem. There is a lot of misconception that dyslexia is when we flip letters around, yep. right? Mm -hmm. But it's actually really about the sounds and linking up that part of our brain that processes language down to its itty-bitty sounds in the mm -hmm. words which is our phonemic and phonological awareness and then connecting that to this recycled part of our brain that establishes letters and connecting those sounds together so what you're doing is laying an incredible foundation for all these kids to really build those skills from yeah it's been very exciting i think one of the best parts is i think this is a program that's really sustainable in our school it's been amazing to have the support from the teacher idea fund but now that we won't have the support going forward it really has become a part of classroom practice as well as my practice as a resource teacher so so that's really good when those changes can be sustainable over time because they benefit our children 
So you've been involved in the second Teacher Idea Fund grant that we received in Fort LaBosse. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that grant? Um, from what I understand, it was more targeting teachers and teacher, like the development of teacher capacity within a science of reading framework. So tell me more about that. Absolutely, and I think the commonality between our two grants is that being able to step out of our practice for a bit or a little bit of money or breathing space mm -hmm. around learning and integrating new things is really necessary because our days are busy and it's really hard to try and integrate new information and new practices while we're still there with kids mm -hmm. every single day. And so that really was the approach that we were looking at taking as well. Having some time and money and opportunity to really develop our understanding of what is the science of reading? How does it integrate into our practice at the resource level, at the clinician level? How do we work on our assessments, our data collection, our monitoring of that, our intervention themselves? How do we get really good um, intervention practices in place? What does all this look like? What resources do we need at our fingertips to be able to do these interventions effectively? So that's where ours really focused. Yes, of course, we were working with students the whole way through, absolutely. But the target was really developing our capacity um, as teachers and clinicians in this area and having a group to do it with because when we can knock those ideas around together and learn and grow together, it makes it much more powerful. So, so a professional learning community model then. Absolutely. So that included you as a clinician. Were speech language involved yes. as well? Yep. And then how many teachers? Oh, you're going to have to make me count. Now. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> estimate for me. Oh, probably six. Six. Six and or seven different teachers schools? from different schools and different age groups. So we have early years through middle years. That's really powerful when your project is involving different buildings because that just means that it's going to be, you know, disseminated that much further through our division and impact that many more classrooms. It's been amazing and to, you know, every time we meet and come back together to hear the stories of what other new educator has come into this circle now of wanting to learn more, tell me more about this, how do I find out that information? It just, those rings in our, in our puddle keep getting bigger and bigger and mm -hmm. bigger, right? Um, so it is a grassroots way, I would say, of really building our capacity with around the science of reading, intervention, appropriate instruction, assessment, etc. So when I was describing our grant at Oak Lake Community School, I was using the term phonological awareness a lot and we talked about how that's basically the ability to hear and manipulate the sounds of oral language and I know the term that I've really heard attached to the work you're doing in your group is Orton-Gillingham. So what is Orton-Gillingham or OG? Tell okay. us a little bit more about that. Yes, OG. So really that is an instructional practice that was developed many, many, many years ago, um, particularly working with kids um, who have dyslexic brains. Um, so really taking those brains that struggle the most to make those connections and do that rewiring and recycling to make a reading brain um, and what practices were effective. And a lot of what is done through Orton-Gillingham intervention or programming aligns with the science of reading. So that direct, systematic, structured, explicit instruction in phonics and on into, um, into 
writing skills as well, building sentences, paragraphs, etc., mm-hmm. um, building capacity there. So while phonological awareness is an important foundation, um, Orton Gillingham based instruction, it is just based instruction, it's not a particular program, it's just an understanding of how to approach that. Um, it, it is that progression then into connecting those sounds with the letters, the groups of letters that that show those sounds which on is paper. more phonics the progression which is of phonics. More phonics yes yeah. absolutely and so we know that phonological awareness and phonics work best in a bit of a spiral where we're knowing that as we learn phonological awareness skills we start attaching them to letters and as we attach them to letters that strengthens our phonological mm-hmm. awareness and back and forth they go in this dance but um, really the capacity to do that very particular um, direct instruction in those K to two years is critical uh, to developing strong readers uh, across as many of the diverse population of kids that we have. That's our best chance um, in catching as many as we can in order for them to go on then to build their fluency and comprehension skills as they get older. So OG really does go through, if you wanna take that instruction, um, all the way through writing paragraphs, starting Mm with um, knowing a basic CVC word and on to there. Well, years ago in Resource, we were introduced to a program called, I think it was Barton Reading System. And I know that that program was grounded in Orton Gillingham as well. And it's still something that I regard as a valuable tool in Resource. Yes. And I think coming back to our our grant idea is really just building our capacity in a way that we can pick and pull, right? And being able to know that that confidence as a teacher to say, I know this is the progression I need. Here are the tools at my disposal. Here's what I can use. The Barton program is wonderful. It's basically a prepackaged version of Orton Gillingham um, programming so that if you didn't have the time to develop all this capacity, you could walk into that program and deliver that. It really was developed um, more for parents even who are tell- um, helping their struggling readers. So yeah, there are a lot of things out there you're gonna start seeing now Orton Gillingham based mm-hmm. on on their um, packaging. And so it really is, there's lots of resources out there. What we did was focus on getting the actual training um, and working uh, towards hopefully practicums and certification in that because there can be a lot of diversity in practice and we wanna make sure we're being true to to what we've learned. Well, and I think we're all seeing that science of reading is becoming a huge buzzword. And I think like in everything, there's going to be like high quality methods and programs and resources that really support the science of reading research. And I think there's probably going to be, you know, the less quality stuff. So I think teachers need to need to have that information so they can make informed choices about what will allow them to implement science of reading in the the best quality way in their classrooms too. Absolutely. So going forward, um, we know that our funding from Teacher Idea Fund ends this June. What are your plans with your Orton-Gillingham Science of Reading group? Well, just as you said, this has become part of our practice now. So we know which assessments we like to use. We know how to integrate that information into a report. We've really spent time digging into those interventions and we've got the resources we need. So it's kind of like we've taken that pause to really get ourselves together and get on board. And now it's just part of our practice, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So of course, 
we're hoping that we can be good resources for others in our division who are embarking on this journey of going down the science of reading rabbit hole and being able to say, oh, I've got an assessment you can use, or here's a tool that I found, or I've got these resources at hand. We, we are hoping to be able to be those sources of information for people. So if an educator is listening to this podcast and thinks, okay, maybe I, they think that they need to learn more about phonological awareness because they're a, a very early years teacher, I would totally invite them to reach out to us at Oak Lake Community School. We would be thrilled to share with them what we've learned this year and, and recommend some resources. Um, and if a teacher is thinking like, I really need to improve you know, what I'm doing with reading instruction or wow, like I'm teaching middle years and I just don't see the comprehension there. Um, would they be able to reach out to someone in your group for resources? Absolutely. And I love that because I do feel though, even though this group has brought us together as educators, we still go back to our own buildings and own places, right? And, and everybody's learning at the same time. And I think there's so much more efficiency in doing it together, in learning together. I know I wish I'd had a roadmap if someone had given that to me Mm -hmm. with the links and the resources and the books um, and the research uh, I would have been very pleased by that so just know a lot of us have been doing that work and have at our fingertips information relating to the questions you got we might not know it all yet but we're we're trying to figure out you're committed to figuring it out and you're passionate about it so I'm happy to learn with anyone who wants to learn along with me Okay, so if you're listening to that, reach out to us at Oak Lake Community School, connect with Sheena, our school psychologist, and she'll be able to hook you up with some great resources. So while we're on the topic of resources, before we wrap up, um, you did mention that you have a lot of great links that you're going to send to me. So I will include those in the podcast description. So if you'd like to learn more about Science of Reading and Hegarty, just check the podcast description in your app and I will have the links right there for you to visit. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sheena. Thank you, Devin. It was an honor. Thank you for tuning in. Any of the resources or information mentioned in this podcast can be found in this episode's show notes, available at www.flbsd.mv.ca forward slash podcast. Join us next time as real teachers continue to share their journeys and inspire you to teach like a boss.